You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert, Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. This is a powerhouse, important episode. We're diving in and talking about the latest and greatest research regarding the power that food has on influencing our health and disease prevention and even reversal. And this science that you're gonna learn today is probably gonna really, really knock your socks off, all right? So make sure that you've got your socks on nice and snug because they might get blown off, all right? So be ready. Now, listen, the reason that this is really important from my perspective is that our physicians, our instructors and coaches they do play a big role for us in managing our health. But as that, somebody who is a a, a guidance or a coach, but the reality is that no one can do your push-ups for you and no one else is putting your food into your mouth. This is something that we have to take personal responsibility for because at the end of the day, food is one of the most influential things in our reality that literally controls our genetic expression. What we eat determines what our genes are doing, literally determining the the copies that are getting printed out of us, whether they're really high quality, you know, the very best high gloss HD copies or the copies from like 20 years ago, Xerox machine, where it's like a copy of a copy of a copy. You can't even tell what it is anymore. I don't know about you, when I was in school, I made copies of a notebook and you got like the notebook rings on the side of the copy and just just bad business. You don't want those kind of copies. So food has a huge impact with nutrigenomics, nutrigenetics. And today we're gonna be talking about some of those things that influence what our genes and our DNA is actually doing and the latest science regarding that. Now, it might surprise you to know that even in our current medical system, thousands of drugs have been synthesizing and using compounds that are found in foods, in different botanicals, different plants that are out there. And there's a large percentage of drugs on the market right now, even something like penicillin, large percentage on the market right now that are derived from fungi, right? Or fungi, if you're a fun guy. But these things have been around for a very long time. But modern science is trying, let's find this one isolated thing and try to, you know, synthesize it, super uh, inject it, you know, Captain America, that stuff up and inject it into you or put in a pill. But the reality is food has all of the cofactors that really make the magic happen because with food, it doesn't just do one thing. You'll find today that certain foods that we might eat for regulating our blood sugar are also good for fat loss or certain things that are good for protecting against heart disease are also good for supporting your microbiome. And the list goes on and on. So really, really powerful episode. And we've got the greatest person on the planet to talk about this topic with us today and his incredible new book as well. So with that said, for me, one of the things that I'm so grateful that I took last night because, listen to this, there was a study published in the June 2006 issue of Life Enhancement. Scientists found that turmeric, which we we have this bio- uh, constituent that's found in concentration in turmeric called curcumin protected mice that were kept awake for 72 hours. 
against symptoms of sleep deprivation, such as impaired locomotor activity, memory dysfunction, uh, weight issues, and even depression that can result from us being dramatically sleep deprived. And the group that received the curcumin treatment before sleep deprivation, this is the key, it was taken before, not as a treatment after, showed significant decrease in anxiety-like behavior, all right, and oxidative stress that's caused by a lack of sleep. And the group also showed improvement in their impaired locomotor activity. All right, so we've got these models, we've got human models now affirming that turmeric is a very, very powerful food and it has this great resonance with the human body. And the reason I'm glad that I took it last night is that 95% of the time, my youngest son, Braden, he's seven right now, 95% of the time, he sleeps through the night. It's all good. Not last night, though. All right? And I think that he appeals to either me or my wife, to whichever one he knows he can manipulate in the moment. Sometimes, you know, he'll hear, Mom! Sometimes he'll hear, Daddy! Daddy! Last night, I, I couldn't really even make it out. It sounded like, Mommy! Daddy! Mommy! Daddy! And I was like, who is he calling? What does he want? Went to check on him. Guess what he wanted? This was 3 o'clock in the morning. His leg was itching. His leg was itching. All right. So definitely didn't have the greatest night of sleep last night, but it's all good. I take my daily turmeric from Organifi. All right. So this is a super critical extract of turmeric, also uh, including a biopotentiator, which is black pepper, and the active component in there, which is pepperine makes your body use it a little bit better. And this is one of the things we're gonna be talking about today, this phytonutrient combining and putting things together and how they work in combination better sometimes for the human body. So I'm excited about that. Definitely get your hands. This is something I travel with as well on the daily turmeric supplement, or you can get in their gold formula, right? So this is the gold that you can add to you know, things like almond milk and water. And so it has the, the turmeric in there as well as uh, coconut milk. It tastes really yummy. And then a bunch of uh, different medicinal mushrooms like reishi and things like that. So it's amazing. Head over there, check them out. It's Organifi.com forward slash model. You get 20% off everything they carry. All right, so that's Organifi. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash model for 20% off. Now let's get to the Apple Podcast Review of the Week. Another five-star review titled Literally Changed My Life by Alexandria Mernig, 1989, Austria. So happy I could cry. Just listened to the Emotional Intelligence episode and had a huge listening up moment when I heard what I can actually help people that had a massive brain injury, just like me. I ordered these mushrooms instantly and can't wait to try it. So grateful. Thank you, Sean. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. And I'm grateful for you. Thank you for heading over to Apple Podcasts and sharing that with everyone. I appreciate that so very much. And listen, if you've yet to do so, please pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review for the show and just keep the love coming. All right. We've got some incredible stuff coming your way. So uh, the best is yet to come for sure. And it starts today with our incredible guest. And today's guest is Dr. William Lee, and he's an internationally renowned medical doctor, researcher and president and founder of the Angiogenesis Foundation. His groundbreaking work has led to the development of more than 30 new medical treatments. He's impacted more than 50 million people worldwide and covers more than 70 diseases, including cancer, diabetes, blindness, heart disease, and obesity. And his TED Talk, which is where I first saw him, incredible, one of the biggest TED Talks ever, called Can We Eat to Starve Cancer? has garnered more than 11 million views. And Dr. Lee has appeared on The Dr. Oz Show, CNN, 
MSNBC, and has been featured in USA Today, Time, O Magazine, the list goes on and on. Dr. Lee has served on the faculty of Harvard Medical School and presented at the Vatican Unite to Cure Conference. And now he's here on the Model Health Show to share his wisdom with all of us. And I'd like to welcome Dr. William Lee. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thank you, Sean, for inviting me to join you. It's totally my pleasure. been looking forward for this for a long time. So you are where right now? I'm in Massachusetts in New England. And that's where you are currently stationed primarily? That's where I work, although I, the world is my office. I go wherever health needs to be addressed. Ooh, I like that. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. So let's dive right in because... For me, I know about a lot of your work and definitely in reading this new book, just had my mind blown, but I want to know about you a little more. What in the world got you into this field? What got you interested initially? I'm talking like when you're a kid, deciding on what you're going to go to school for, what got you interested in health and wellness in the first place? Well, you know, when we're kids, we're all running around and, you know, physically active. And I happen to grow up in an environment where, you know, food was an important part of my life growing up. And we always had fresh food uh, done with nice ingredients. It was always tasty. I remember, you know, uh, coming home from school and, and just smelling what was coming out of the kitchen. It was really what I associate with my home. And later on, I went to medical school and I knew that I wanted to be a doctor to help people. And, and pretty quickly, I realized that everything that we were being taught Sean, was about prescribed, uh, diagnosing diseases and prescribing medicines, which, look, as a doctor, that's really important. I, I've seen firsthand how important medicines can be, life-saving in many cases. But really, I think as I've gotten uh, on with my career and I've helped to develop 30-some FDA-approved uh, treatments, I started realizing the bigger challenge, the bigger opportunity and challenge for us is really to prevent disease in the first place. The moment you start talking about prevention, you can't be talking about medicines anymore. You have to talk about food. It's a different tool in the toolbox. Yeah. And I started to realize that all the research and all the science that I had looking at medicines has not yet been applied to food. And that's what I really wrote my book, Eat to Beat, about, Eat to Beat Disease, about is what's the science behind how the body heals itself? Because when it comes to our food and health, it's not just about the food. It's about how our body responds to what we put inside it. Yeah, absolutely. I love that so much. And, you know, just hearing your a little bit of your story and how this kind of progressed, you know, I went to traditional university and going pre-med, it wasn't even required for me to take anything regarding nutrition, which at the time I didn't think anything about it. But now looking back, it's just really shocking because food really is what we make our bodies out of. So it's kind of important but for me, even in my story, my first, when I was dealing with my own health issue, I asked my physician, should I change the way I'm eating? And he said that it, it doesn't matter. He just told, he looked me dead in my eyes and said, you know, it's, it's not important. And I just took that as at face value and come to find out again, things are radically different. And your book really highlights that. Well, you know, it's interesting because Hippocrates, the father of all medicine, you know, talked about uh, food as our medicine. And that idea is now coming up really because the science is coming up. You know, it's interesting you talk about, you know, the pre-med requirements. Yeah. You know, like we just get loaded on with heavy duty science. We got to get that under our belt in order to be able to get into school. Uh, and even in med school, I can tell you in residency training, everything else beyond that 
nutrition's always been considered kind of like the the lightweight subject and the one we don't have enough time for. And at the same, and that, you know, the truth of the matter is, it's a, it's a subject we cannot not have. It is the subject that is the foundation of understanding our health. And if you don't understand health, really, you can't understand disease. So I think we're kind of going back to the wisdom of the ancients and trying to, but with real science behind right. it now. Yeah. And that's what's so exciting. So exciting. And we're going to talk about some of these specific foods and nutrients today, but I think we need that foundational understanding, which you start with in the book and talking about these five defense systems, because what people are going to learn today, we're talking about potentially helping you to prevent serious conditions and also supporting your body and being able to recover from some pretty serious things. So this is vital information, but we need to know about these five defense systems. So let's talk a little bit about each. And if we can, let's start with angiogenesis, because that's obviously one of the hallmark things you're known for. Right. Well, so let's take one step back to say that, you know, I'm sure all of your listeners think about health really as the absence of disease. You're not sick, you're healthy, right? Like that's the typical thing. You go for a checkup, you get the pat on the back and you know, you go like, man, I got, I got out of that one lucky this time, right? That's what most people think. But we now know that health is a lot more than that. Good health is actually the result of our body's natural health defense systems that are hardwired inside us. And they protect us, these defenses, from the time we're born to our very last breath. When we get sick, it's usually because one or more of these health defense systems actually failed us or they're getting weaker. And so that's really what got me interested in what is defining health itself. So we found five systems. There's probably more than that. But in my book, I write about five core foundational systems. First one is angiogenesis. So that's what I do. Angiogenesis is the, the, how the body grows blood vessels. Blood vessels are our circulation our, that brings oxygen and nutrients to every single cell in our body. So it's a powerful way of nourishing, replenishing, and feeding our system. If our blood vessels aren't healthy, we're not healthy. So that's actually a powerful system that, guess what, can be boosted by foods, even though the biotech world has been working on drugs to manipulate the system. Turns out Mother Nature's beat them to the punch by already creating lots of foods that can do it. Mm. So I got a question. You you map it out yeah. how how much... Uh, of these pathways when we're talking about these blood vessels, how much do we have in our bodies? Right. So it's amazing, you know, how much, how many blood vessels we have. 60,000 miles worth of blood vessels packed inside our skin. That's enough that if you were to pull them out end to end and line them up, that would encircle the earth twice. So really a powerful, a lot of real estate there to help feed ourselves, feed our body. Yes. So there's a couple of things that related and it really just set the light bulb off in my, in my mind about this because angiogenesis is related to normal things like wound healing and childbirth. So can you talk a little bit about that? Because there's also a potential dark side to it. So like almost everything else in life, there's sort of two sides to the coin. Uh, normal angiogenesis feeds everything, but the way that we've evolved as humans is if we cut ourselves, our body knows that. Our defense system springs into action figures out where the injury is and starts growing blood vessels to heal it up. In fact, if you ever had a scab, you know, scraped your knee, had a scab, that scab comes off a little too early, that bright red stuff underneath it, that's angiogenesis, new blood vessels growing to feed and heal that wound. So really, really important. But then when you're done healing, the body kind of turns it all down and right sizes it back to where it needs to be. Uh, for childbirth, 
uh, every month, a woman who is of reproductive age grows a lining in her uterus called the endometrium. And that's what gets sloughed off during menstruation. And then it gets built right back up so that if there's a sperm that meets the egg, it has a nice nest, blood vessel nest to implant in so we can actually grow. So, uh, and when the baby grows, you've got the placenta and you've got the actual organs forming, that requires angiogenesis yet again. So we can't get away from angiogenesis. It is very much part of who we are. But as you point out, there's a dark side to it because diseases can hijack this process and feed themselves. And the best example of this is, is cancer. Cancers form all the time in our bodies, but they're completely harmless. They don't cause disease because normally they don't have a blood supply. So they can grow maybe two millimeters in diameter. It's about the size of the tip of a ballpoint pen. Then that's it. They're frozen until your immune system spots them and wipes them out. But if they're able to actually find, uh, survive long enough and release these natural chemicals, these proteins that are fertilizers that draw blood vessels, hijack the blood vessels to feed themselves, they can explode in size. In fact, once blood vessels reach a tumor, it'll grow 16,000 times in just a couple of weeks. So it really deadly force. So harmless cancer, no blood vessels. Deadly cancer filled with blood vessels. And that's why we're very interested and that's what I gave my TED talk on is what are some foods that can actually cut off the blood supply feeding cancers? Oh, my goodness. And I, I want to dive in and talk about some of them now, because I mentioned earlier, turmeric is one of those that has this anti-angiogenesis properties to it. But you highlight so many in the book. It's just so mind blowing. Well, I'm very impressed that you know the uh, mechanisms of turmeric and also that you understand that black pepper and piperine actually work together to elevate those levels in the body. That's a pretty sophisticated concept and, and not everybody knows it. So I'm glad you're getting the word out. Uh, but that's uh, that so turmeric's one of the anti-androgenic spices. There are other spices as well. But, you know, in my book, Eat to Beat Disease, I wanted to really help clear up confusion with science. And so there's probably no more confusing food than soy, mm, right? Yeah. Women are being told everywhere that if they want to avoid breast cancer, they got to avoid soy. And so I address this in my book. What's the real truth? What's the science? Well, it turns out that soy is packed with a natural anti-angiogenic, cancer-starving substance. It's got, you know, here's a, here's a little background about soy, the controversy. Soy's gotten a scary reputation because some people believe that the plant-based estrogen that's in soy can cause breast cancer. Well, we know that human estrogen can cause breast cancer, but it turns out science tells us Plant estrogens are nothing like human estrogens, and in fact, they can counter their effects. Mm. How do we know this? Well, I write about a study of 5,000 women who have breast cancer, most vulnerable population, and this study showed that women with breast, breast cancer, those who ate more soy, had about a 30% decrease in the risk of mortality, 30% lower. And how does it, how does it work? is that there's a natural chemical called genistein that's in soy that cuts off the blood supply feeding not just breast cancers but all cancers. How much do you need? The research has found about 10 grams of soy protein a day. That's what you'd find in a cup of soy milk. That's so fascinating because for me, and this was again, this was about 10, even maybe 12 years ago when I started to hear, and there was nothing really to solidify this, but these soy, these phytoestrogens got lumped in with these xenoestrogens we might find in things like, you know, plastic, bisphenol A or something like that. 
And we really didn't have this data that we have now to hear that, wait a minute, it's not operating, it's not fitting into those estrogen receptor sites in the human body the same way in causing these problems. Matter of fact, it's supportive. And that's really, really a breath of fresh air. This is where science leads the way, right? Like, I think when it comes to food and health, it's so confusing to hear about uh, a superfood or a super diet. And, you know, like you hear it's curative one week and then the next week it flip flops the other side. If if research scientists did that all the time with their medicines, we'd never know what to do. But what scientists do, what doc, really serious doctors do, is we just follow the trail of science. It's like you know the headlights shine forward, and we just figure out what we're seeing within you know in our windshield. This leads me to asking you about which is I. This is really really interesting. Uh, it has anti-angiogenic properties. Chicken thigh, chicken thigh. We got to uh, talk about this. All right, man. Well, look, I love chicken thighs. I think chicken thighs are the tastiest part of a chicken. But, you know, most people grow up being, you know, kind of brainwashed that you got to have chicken breast, right? right? Um, by the way, you know, real chickens in the wild, their breasts are like this thin. I mean, these like chickens in the wild are like, they're not buff like you right. see a farm chicken. They don't have the augmentation. So, they don't have that augmentation. That's right. So, um, but chicken thighs actually are the dark meat, right? So dark meat's getting the exercise, and it turns out the chicken thighs accumulate a natural vitamin called vitamin K2. And, you know, similar to other vitamins, they actually add something to the body. So in the case of vitamin K2, it's anti-angiogenic, and it actually cuts off the blood supply to tumors. And so there's, you know, public health studies showing that people who eat diets containing vitamin K2, and chicken thighs is a great source of it, actually have lower risk of certain types of cancer. Mm, really, really remarkable. And again, you cite so many different interesting studies here in the book regarding this. And even with, you, you say here, quote, people who ate more K2 containing foods had more than 57% reduction in the chance of dying from heart disease. Really, really powerful stuff. So it's, these nutrients don't just do one thing. And that's another thing that no. you share throughout the book. That's right. You know, uh, although, you know, in the uh, in the public domain, people tend to really simplify things into a message, you know, like this compound does that and that's all it does. In reality, Mother Nature is incredibly resourceful. So she generally gave lots of job descriptions to almost anything that's found in our food. And so this is what we're, this is why we need more research. But already we're beginning to learn the kinds of things that are present in food and what, and how they act in the body. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, We've got, this is one of these, uh, again, you got five defense systems. So this is one, angiogenesis. So let's move on and talk about stem cells. This is something that I literally, when I was reading this in the book, I was like, because I did a talk on this at a university literally nine years ago and talking about pluripotent and multipotent stem cells and adult stem cells and this process. But now you've got so much more data and you've got it highlighted in the book. It just really sp spoke to my, to my soul and how powerful this stuff is. So let's talk about stem cells. Well, you know, uh, we're all made out of stem cells. So when our uh, moms got together with our dads and started to create, you know, the the fetus that we started from and as we grew in the womb, um, the only reason we're around is because our stem cells actually created us. So that's why it's part of your soul because it is, it's you and it's me. We're all made out of stem cells. The thing is that when we're, when we're, when we grow up, even as adults, we're, we still have stem cells, some stem cells that are left. So if you take a look at 37 trillion human cells in the adult body, we got about 0.002% 
small fraction. Actually, the absolute number is pretty big. It's about 74 million, okay, of our cells still are stem cells, which means that they're hanging around waiting to actually fix and regenerate our bodies. Listen, when we were kids, we learned from our teachers that starfish and salamanders can regenerate, but people can't, right? That's what we all heard about. But science has turned that around. We now know that people do regenerate from the inside out and with these stem cells that are still left. It does it slowly, but that's what actually helps us heal, uh, heal and injure our, when we're injured and also regenerate parts of ourselves, including our brain. In fact, there was a research um, study just uh, that produced, uh, just published just last week that just showed that, in fact, the adult brain actually still regenerates new neurons. So quite amazing what these things do. All right, part of our defense systems, obviously, very, very important. And it turns out that foods can actually um, enhance our stem cells, coax them out, help us repair ourselves, stimulate our own regeneration. And there are other foods that can actually damage them. And so this is actually another one of our defenses that very sensitive. We got to kind of treat them the right way and then we can actually um, boost them whenever we need to. Yes, yes. And so as you mentioned, this is the beginning of life, you know, egg, sperm, meat. Then we have this uh, kind of explosion of activity with these stem cells. And these particular stem cells are able to diversify and become anything our bodies need. But as we develop, we start to have less and less of those type of stem cells and more have more specialized stem cells. But if you could, can you share where do our stem cells as we you know, grow into adults, where do they hide out and how many do we have left? Because I would think that it's not one of the biggest resources that we have access to. Yeah, they're, they're sort of like diamonds hiding in the mountain. Mm -hmm. And most of them are living inside our bone marrow, right? So, um, you know, our bones are actually hollow. Uh, they're, not, they're not actually filled with, they're not all bone all the way solid through. In the middle of a bone marrow are tons of cells, including blood cells, but mostly stem cells. And so those stem cells live in there like bees living in a hive, waiting for the time when they're actually needed. So on an average day, the body re releases a few of these bees, these stem cells, into the circulation. They're, they're doing, conducting surveillance, figuring out what needs to be repaired and doing their job. If you have an injury, though, whether it's surgery or trauma, uh, if your uh, heart's starved of uh, oxygen with clogging you know, from cholesterol, then more stem cells are called pouring out, and they go right to the site of trouble. They're kind of like troubleshooters, mm -hmm. right? Um, again, not many. They're like 0.002% of all of our cells are stem cells. So they're the minority of our cells, but they are powerful because as you say, wherever they go, they know how to turn into that tissue or that organ. Ah, oh, that's so amazing. And you know, if we really think about this and I've done like a masterclass episode talking about the liver, we can lose like a third, even potentially two thirds of our liver and it's able to regenerate. Like we have this capacity yeah. within us. But we don't think right. about it in terms of like how amazing and how how good could could this get potentially if we really understand what stem cells can do in regenerating, like you just mentioned, our our brains or, you know, if somebody does lose a limb, for example. Well, you know that our nerves actually regenerate at two millimeters a day. So you can take it out in a ruler and, you know, if you actually had a problem with your arm, you can actually measure how much nerve you'll grow every single day to regenerate it. So think about what think about the implication for the spinal cord. Right? Yeah, or yeah. after a stroke. I mean, massive implications. But the, and, and, you know, there are lots of biotech companies, uh, Sean, that are developing stem cell therapies where they're taking stem cells and processing them and trying to figure out ways to inject them back in for sickness. 
again, we're back to that old model, which is a worthy one of looking for a sick person and figuring out how to actually inject a bullet back into them to you know, wipe out a disease. I'm all for that. Okay. However, the amazing thing that I write about in my book are the is the science has also shown us that foods can actually help support and coax out our own stem cells. So we don't need to be injected. We can just eat the right things. That's exactly what I want to talk about now. So I would love to talk about some of these foods and nutrients that are capable of, like you said, coaxing out and mobilizing these stem cells so our bodies can potentially be able to do these jobs that we've been talking about. Right. Well, you know, some of the, and this, but this is a relatively new area of research. Uh, I'll tell you the most surprising one first, I think your listeners will like this, is actually dark chocolate. Mm. So, you know, who, who needs another reason to like chocolate? But here's one that's really, really informed by science. So we know that really dark chocolate's made with cacao. Cacao is a natural substance that comes out of a bean. And inside those cacao beans are polyphenols, right? Really potent polyphenols. And so dark chocolate, which is usually 70% or higher, and you can just look at that number on the side of a, the chocolate bar you might find, darker the better, the higher the number, the more potent it actually is, um, actually can uh, help mobilize those stem cells out of our bone marrow. There's a study I write about from UCSF in San Francisco, University of California in San Francisco, where they took patients with coronary disease. These are people that already had heart disease with narrowing of their arteries, and they gave them hot cocoa. So, you know, just like like made with dark chocolate, uh, as super dark chocolate, uh, twice a day. And they had them drink that every day for a month, 30 days. And they looked at their blood from the beginning to the very end. And they found that the only thing they ever did was actually drink this cocoa. That's the only intervention. It doubled the number of stem cells in the same person from beginning to end. And it also improved their circulation, their blood flow. When they measured it using the same kind of tests that we use in a medical clinic or for biotech companies, actually doubled the, the, the activity of their blood flow. So this is quite an amazing story that, you know, even something like chocolate, a small drink, it's only, it was only an eight ounce cup twice a day was powerful enough to do this. But there, and there are other beverages that also can actually mobilize stem cells. I had to keep my brain from popping out of my head right there. That's just nuts. That is incredible. That's so remarkable. Something so simple and it's like super prevalent in our culture, but we you know we're a little bit off, you know. We're thinking in terms of the candy bar, but getting like the real thing, you know, that closer to the the natural state, the cacao, and then all the other things it has as well because the gut again the food doesn't just do one thing. We also have a great source of magnesium and iron so that can potentially help with anemia and we've got uh, precursors to neurotransmitters and hormones like serotonin and anandamide and tryptophan, all from chocolate. And the stem cell thing, it just it, that's it's just too much. I, I love it. I love it so much. So cool. So we've got the stem cells covered, and we talked about angiogenesis. So let's talk next about, and this one right here is super hot out there in, in the in the world of health and wellness. But here's the thing. I'm going to preface this for you. You say in your book, we are no longer simply human. Let's talk. Tell me what you mean by that. All right. Well, there's a term called holobiont, H-O-L-O-B-I-O-N-T. And that word refers to an organism that's actually made up of smaller organisms or other multiple organisms to function as a whole. And that's what we are. 
you know, we all call ourselves humans, but in fact, we're human cells mixed with bacteria cells. And those healthy bacteria, which is what we call the microbiome, and by the way, there's 39 trillion of those bacteria living inside our body, means that we're kind of an ecosystem. We're a big coral reef. Some of them are human cells and some of them are bacteria cells. And we collaborate uh, in this ecosystem. We make one gigantic neighborhood that gets together. And like any neighborhood, when you've got good people in it, good cells, good bacteria, things work pretty well. You know, everybody's happy. And when you've got some bad players, bad actors, and that can happen in the body as well, you get some bad bacteria in that neighborhood, you wind up having a disrupted ecosystem and you wind up having problems. And a lot, we're beginning to realize that a lot of health problems may actually be tracked back to problems in our bacteria. Our healthy bacteria aren't healthy anymore. So this is the, the new frontier for health starts inside our gut with our bacteria. Mm, so true. And um, one of the things that has been coming forward is uh, the the influence that our microbiome has on our, it's kind of like the big epigenetic influence. And we'll talk more about that in a moment, but knowing that, you know, these microbes have genes as well. And if you take all their number, it potentially has more genes than we do. And we think that we just have this one genetic lot that we've been given. And all of this stuff is so flexible and changeable. And our diet plays a huge role in this. And one of the specific bacteria that you talk about is uh, uh, Acromancia. Can you talk about this one? Because as far as eating to beat disease and longevity, I think this is one that people are going to be hearing a lot about. Right. So this uh, Acromancia is a bacteria that only has been discovered in the 90s. So it's really not one of these ancient bacteria that we've known about, you know, uh, since Louis Pasteur kind of thing. Right, like the one of the earlier discoveries of, of microorganisms, uh, it became important in my work because one of the things that actually has happened in medicine is that we now are beginning to treat cancer patients with something called immunotherapy. Immune therapies um, can actually really re eliminate all cancer in a patient by not killing the cancer directly, but by activating your own immune system and allowing your immune system, which is another one of our defenses, to search and destroy and figure out any of these bad cells that need to go away, right? That's what normally happens. I, I mentioned to you, like, I think we, we're all forming cancers all the time. You don't have angiogenesis, the immune system's gotta wipe that out. But when we do have cancer, what we now know is that immune therapies can be given to cancer patients. These are FDA approved, or they've changed the way we even think about cancer. You treat these patients with immune therapies, and it activates, lights up the immune system to wipe out, wipe out the patients, uh, wipe out the cancer. Now, some patients don't respond very well to these immune therapies, meaning the cancer doesn't actually shrink, doesn't go away, and it's one of the big mysteries on why. Well, a couple of years ago, a colleague of mine in Paris was speaking at a meeting that we had invited her. I had invited her to. Her name is Dr. Laurence Zipbogo out of Paris. And she's a brilliant immuno immunologist who discovered in people who cancer patients who are getting treated with these immune therapies that the difference between whether they would respond and do well to the treatment or not respond and not do well was one bacteria. And that one bacteria is acromancia. Mm. If you had acromancia, you did well. Your immune system did, uh, was able to activate. And that just shows you how powerful these, the microbiome is. Like they talks directly and facilitates our immune system. You didn't have it, man, game over. So 
Here's the thing about acromancia. You can't eat it as a probiotic, right? So there's no, like you can't go online and order the acromancia probiotic. The only way you can grow acromancia, Sean, is with food. Mm. Turns out that pomegranate juice can actually uh, change the gut in a way that the acromancia love to grow. Acromancia love to grow in the mucus lining of the gut. When you have pomegranate juice, like real pomegranate juice, um, it, it'll actually grow that mucus lining. And within about a month, you can kind of double or triple the amount of acromancia that you need for your immune system. Wow. Wow. That's nuts. Again, just so remarkable. And also acromancia is, is um, correlated with longevity. You know, seeing folks that are living over 100 years having a higher ratio of that as well. That's right. So, you know, we're beginning to just, this is the new biology, right? Like, you know, kids who are actually interested in going into science or medicine, you know, today are going to be learning all this stuff as part of their, you know, fundamentals. And for us, it's like new discoveries. So we're really at this golden age, I think, of discovering about the, the secrets of health. Yes. So let's start to add in some pomegranates out there and also pomegranate juice. But be careful with the kinds that's sweetened with oh, sugar yeah. and things like that. Because added sugar actually injures our microbiome. Yeah. The other thing I, I you know, I want to mention for your uh, for your listeners about um, acromancia is that it's pretty vulnerable. You know, like if you take a common antibiotic that will uh, use for bronchitis, you know, uh, uh, that everybody gives, um, that'll wipe out the acromancia pretty quickly. And so this is a bacteria that, you know, we got to grow back and that's what you keep, you got to keep on top of that. Yeah. And you talk about in the book how, um, we, we lose these species and some of them can be very difficult to get back if we can even get them back at all. And especially as our, um, children, you know, we pass these on our, our microbiome and we start to see complete, like, you know, microbiome, if we're thinking about it in terms of being like a rainforest, we've got like some species that might be endangered, some are extinct, and it can be very difficult to get these back. And especially as we go on in our lineage, as we pass on these traits in our microbiome, get passed on to our children and then our grandchildren. And so we need to pay attention to this stuff right now and be a little bit more judicious in our use of antibiotics. They can absolutely be life-saving, but in some instances, we do not need them and we can do some other things instead. And this is why we need to be more conscious as we're working alongside our physicians and our instructors, health coaches, things like that. And so with that said, super fascinating stuff, but I want to ask you about a couple of other foods to support our microbiome, but we'll do that right after this quick break. So sit tight. We'll be right back. Don't sleep on sleep. Today, there is a big revolution happening to improve our sleep quality because we're understanding finally just how much our sleep quality impacts our physical performance, our brain function, and literally impacts our body composition. Sleep deprivation is something that can directly lead to increased fat gain and an inability to lose weight as well. With great sleep, we see an increased ability to burn fat, like the research that was done by the International Association for the Study of Obesity that found that our sleep quality, namely a sleep-related hormone called melatonin that everybody's heard of, increases your body's production of something called brown adipose tissue. This is a type of fat that actually burns fat. And the reason that it's brown versus the white adipose tissue is brown adipose tissue has a lot more mitochondria. And these are the energy power plants in our cells, very metabolically active tissue that we build more of when we get great sleep. Now, 
The issue today is getting that great sleep. And there's tons of lifestyle factors, but there's also a nutrition component. And there's a study that was published in the journal Pharmacology, Biochemistry, and Behavior that found that the renowned medicinal mushroom reishi was able to, number one, significantly decrease sleep latency. This means you fall asleep faster when you have reishi. They also found that this increased overall sleep time for study participants. And they found that this increased the sleep efficiency by improving the non-REM deep sleep and improving our light REM sleep as well. This comprehensive approach to improving sleep, it's not pounding our sleep into submission, what we see with conventional drugs and things of that nature, where it's kind of like pseudo sleep. This is actually improving your sleep quality, your sleep efficiency by utilizing Rishi. Now, the only Rishi that I use is from Four Sigmatic because it's dual extracted, where they're doing an alcohol extract and a hot water extract. So they're actually extracting all of the nutrients from the mushroom that you think you're getting with Company X, all right? You're actually getting those compounds. With the hot water extract, you're getting the beta-glucan related compounds. And then with the alcohol extract, you're getting more of the hormonal compounds. And I think these are really important for sleep, like the terpenes and things in that category and so much more. So make sure to use foursigmatic.com forward slash model to get your hands on this and so much more. So that's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com forward slash model. You get 15% off their Rishi Elixir and all of their medicinal mushroom elixirs, coffees, hot cocos, and so much more. I love Four Sigmatic. I literally have them every single day, one of their different products. Today I had my Lion's Mane coffee mix. So, so good. And it has all of these benefits as well. If you're still drinking standard coffee, what are you doing? You need to get these benefits from the Four Sigmatic coffee mixes. Now, head over and check them out ASAP because these are absolutely game-changing. The coffee mix, great for in the morning. Rishi, great for in the evening and winding down. And they've got all of this research to back it up. And this is what it's all about, is having more education so that we're executing on the things that really do work, that have a clinically proven benefit, and we can actually enjoy ourselves and have a good time along the way. And again, that's foursigmatic.com forward slash model for 15% off everything. And now back to the show. All right, we're back and we're talking with Dr. William Lee, who is the author of the new book, Eat to Beat Disease. I got an early copy, but now it's out and available for everybody. One of my favorite books of all times. This is really, really something special and bringing together a lot of the science on food and on nutrition that we've speculated for a while. And we know we've got, you know, maybe a little bit of this. This looks promising, but he's really diving in and giving us the, the, the full picture on some of these foods. And so before the break, we're talking about the microbiome. And so I would imagine that ferments would be something important to, to, to add in, maybe even something like kimchi. Well, it's amazing to know that kimchi is made with fermented, is fermented and is rich with bacteria. And it's been known for more than 20 years that people that eat kimchi actually have a stronger immune system. We're feeding back, we're putting bacteria in them. And in fact, kimchi itself has its own unique kimchi type of bacteria and it's been shown to actually fight the flu but kimchi isn't the only thing you know some people love kimchi i love kimchi but not everybody likes it so how about sauerkraut right flip to the other side of the world and you actually have pickled you know cabbage and that actually contains uh back healthy bacteria as well keep going back now you go to Asia and there's something called pao cai, which actually you find like in the Chinese restaurant, they'll put a little bit of these pickled vegetables 
at the beginning of a meal, also made with fermented uh, bacteria. And you know, what's also interesting is that there's we're discovering that even bread and cheese, which are made with bacteria, can be helpful. In fact, I like to talk about, you know, there's this whole anti-carb thing out there, but as you pointed out yourself, it's not all or nothing with one thing. Foods are complicated. And a, a one bread that's really interesting is pumpernickel bread. You know that brown bread? Uh, it's made with rye flour. And the rye flour actually lowers a harmful bacteria that grows in the gut that actually releases a toxin that causes inflammation. And so by eating rye flour bread, you can actually lower that bacteria and lower inflammation. On the other hand, sourdough bread, you know, some people really love sourdough bread, is made with a bacteria called lactobacillus ruteri. Now, lactobacillus, you know, the lactic acid is actually what makes the sourdough bread tangy. That's what, that's a good part of the bread. That bacteria is normally found in the gut, our healthy gut, and it boosts our immune system, helps us do healing, and it actually communicates to our brain and prompts our brain to release the hormone, the social hormone, oxytocin, which is mm. the feel-good hormone we get when we get a hug from somebody we love. Mm. I love this so much because we're getting the a whole story, you know. I haven't heard Pumpernickel said in so long. When I hear it, I think of, that's like something in a Disney movie, right? That's the kind of, that's, a, that's the bread a fairy would eat, right? Pumpernickel. And then we've got the sourdough as well and understanding we've got like a uh, this kind of fermented capacity to it and the ability to literally produce more oxytocin. But being mindful, you know, for some folks, that's not going to resonate with you. And for other folks, this can be a potentially healing food for you. So, again, just keeping our minds open and looking at the, the research and also testing things out, because one of the things you also encourage is for folks to try things and 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 go for the things that they enjoy because you're giving them permission to eat the foods and some of the beverages that they enjoy as well but just doing this a little bit more intelligently right now my emphasis is on what you should add to your diet yeah. not what you should eliminate or take away because you know listen human nature abhors deprivation you know how many times have you heard it said if you can't do something your mind automatically says well maybe i should want to do it but on the other hand, also these deprivation diets are really difficult to stick to. And what we need to do is think about patterns that actually we can stick to our whole lives from the time we were kids to, you know, to, to, you know, to when we're really old. Uh, we ought to be able to actually stick to something that we love. And so in my book, I show more than 200 foods. Look through those foods, circle the ones you already like, and choose those next time you're going out to go shopping or ordering from a restaurant because then you're already ahead of the game because mm. you're picking the things you already love. Love it, love it, love it. One more thing I want to ask you about before we move on from the microbiome is the importance of, it's something that the microbiome does for us that we don't really talk a lot about, and this is producing these short-chain fatty acids. So can you please just give people some a little bit of information on that? Right. So um, bacteria in our gut uh, don't just sit there. They're pretty active, and they're also eating things and feeding themselves. So think about like, you know, uh, your goldfish in an aquarium, right? You drop some uh, flakes in there, and they drop, go down into the goldfish, and the goldfish eat them up, and you see all these little particles that come out of the fish's mouth. Anybody's had a fishbowl will remember that. Well, that's exactly what the microbiome does. So when we feed them fiber, for example, soluble fiber, we're feeding the bacteria, the bacteria are eating these fibers, and they're creating little particles, little fragments um, from the fiber. And, and some of these fragments are called short-chain fatty acids or SCAFAs. 
but they are not just crumbs that drop to the bottom of the aquarium. In fact, they actually dissolve right out of the gut, get into our bloodstream. And again, Mother Nature being very resourceful has figured out these short chain fatty acids. What the bacteria cut up those that fiber into actually can have a function. So it's um, anti-inflammatory. It's immune boosting. It actually can be pro-angiogenic as well, as well as anti-angiogenic. There's different types and different sizes of these fragments. And so they're, they're kind of invisible, but the bacteria know exactly how to make them. Awesome. Awesome. So of these five defense systems, we've talked about angiogenesis. We've talked about regeneration via stem cells, the microbiome. Next up, you talk about DNA protection. Right. So who hasn't heard about DNA, right? Ancestry.com, 23andMe. Take a cheek swab, figure out who you're related to or what you, you know, what kind of risk you have. All very important, right? The human genome, when we actually uh, uh, sequenced the human genome, that was like a milestone in human history. We finally sort of hacked into our genetics, they say. Well, here's the other thing. Like, you know, we're always trying to be smart, uh, you know, as scientists to figure out what's going on. But in fact, you know, Mother Nature and evolution is a lot smarter than we can ever be. And the DNA is not just the genetic code that makes proteins in our body, but in fact, it actually protects us against the environment. What do I mean by that? Well, look, anybody who's ever sat in traffic for a long time, you know, with the, on a sunny day, you're getting sunshine pouring in through your windows. Or if you're at, out at the beach, you know, and you're not wearing enough sunscreen, you get ultraviolet radiation, DNA damage, mutating your skin. Anybody who's ever smelled secondhand smoke, I mean, I hope people don't smoke, but if they don't smoke, even if you smell it from somebody else, that's DNA damage. That, that Just smelling that will damage your DNA in your lungs. Or how many people fill up their car at the filling station, right? Do you stand upwind or downwind uh, of, of, the, of the, uh, the hose? If you can smell that fuel, DNA damage. The good news is that your body, the DNA, it knows how to protect itself. So it fixes itself, rebuilds itself, it caps itself off with the telomeres. It does a lot of things to protect itself. You call it epigenetics. These are all mechanisms that really help us maintain our functionality of our DNA. And the great news is that foods can actually influence that process. Let's talk about some foods that can do that. Well, one of the foods that you talked about earlier, turmeric, is actually a great DNA modifier. So basically, turmeric can uncloak DNA that is useful and even fight even cancer fighting DNA to unleash the protective DNA to help fight cancer. And it can also cap some of the DNA that, you know, might actually not be so helpful as well. And so that's one example of a spice that we can add to our food. Oh yeah, don't forget to add it with fresh cracked black pepper if you're actually using it for for cooking. Um, but th those two ingredients are really important together. But I want to tell you some things that are like not as well known, um, like, for example, kiwi fruit, right? Everybody who's seen a kiwi, it's like this monkey ball shaped thing, furry, cut it down the middle, open it up. It's got this bright green um, uh, flesh, really juicy and sweet. It's packed with vitamin C and other vitamins. And there have been studies in humans, clinical studies, in which they've actually taken young people and measured their blood at the beginning and looked at their DNA how well it does, how well it can protect itself. And then they gave them one kiwi and they, and they ate them and they measured after a couple of days that eating that one kiwi can protect their DNA, increase it by 60%. So you can just eat one kiwi a day and it pops up your defense mechanisms. If you eat three kiwis a day, it helps your DNA rebuild itself. 
So it actually repairs itself. So, you know, here's a simple, lowly kiwi fruit, you know, like I'll, I might have one for breakfast, for example, that can actually do a lot for you. Wow. And shout out to New Zealand where kiwis originated. And uh, we got some great listeners there as well. When you said monkey ball looking thing, I was like, what? I almost laughed out loud. It's like, the doctor's monkey ball looking thing? Uh, so kiwis are something for us to add in, protecting our DNA. But I would love if you talk about a little bit about the telomeres. You know, this is something that I've highlighted several times on the show, but now we've got even more data. And it's really, it's, it's remarkable because I, this might be the best biological marker we have for how long we're going to live potentially. And our lifestyle, food choices can affect our telomeres, whether they get shortened or whether we can activate telomerase and potentially grow some back. Right. So think about your DNA like, like yarn. Uh, that's like a big string, a big lump, a big pile of yarn. You're going to wind that yarn up, right? So you wind it around something, and that's really what our chromosomes are. Our DNA is wound up into these X's and Y's that are packed inside our cells. That's really our genome packed into chromosomes. And at the very end, you can imagine if you're winding up a ball of yarn, you got to be able to get that, that yarn to, so it doesn't unravel to stick. And so you got to put a cap on it. The cap is the telomere. Uh, you know, physically, it kind of looks like the plastic tip on the end of a shoelace kind of protects it and holds the thing to prevent it from unraveling. That protective cap on our DNA is part of our protection. Longer the telomere, longer we think we're going to live. Cellular aging. Shorter the telomere, the, sh the shorter these cells are going to live. And so one of the big areas of research right now, by the way, this research led to the Nobel Prize uh, a few years ago, is what can we actually do to lengthen our telomeres? So for those people that are, you know, sort of the Ponce de Leon people looking for the fountain of youth, everybody's looking for things that actually keep our telomeres longer. Well, the answers are from research that I write about in my book might actually be in already in our kitchens. Mm. So, for example, coffee turns out to be a beverage that actually can not just prevent our telomeres from burning down like a fuse, it actually can lengthen the telomeres as well. So that's really quite an amazing thing that coffee can actually uh, uh, do that. But actually, it's probably more dietary pattern. You know, uh, I mean, and, and people that have good dietary patterns tend to be generally healthier. They tend to exercise and sleep better and all that kind of stuff. But the Mediterranean diet is one of the best examples of a whole food, plant, primarily plant-based diet with healthy oils, um, uh, seafood, and relatively low uh, red meat and minimal processed foods. That combination tends to lengthen telomeres. And so that's really one of the amazing things. You know, I have a colleague, Dr. Dean Ornish. He and I worked together on looking at sort of um, healthy patterns of diets. And we actually found, in fact, that um, healthy diets like the Mediterranean diets not only actually lengthen telomeres, but also at the same time, again, being Mother Nature being very efficient, actually are also anti-androgenic that can protect you against uh, cancer. So something that's good for the goose is probably good for the gander. Yes, absolutely. And by the way, everybody, when he talked about that end cap on a shoe, shoelace, I was doing a talk for high school students, and this was maybe eight years ago. And one of the students, and we we're talking about telomeres, you know, it was like a science conference thing. And one of the students was like, those are called aglets. And I was like, what? Is that real? Is that true? It has a name? And they're actually called aglets. So telomeres are like aglets, and we all know what it's like when we don't have those on the end of our shoestrings, and they get frayed. 
it is like the worst thing. You like try to put some spit on it and twist it up. It try, it's just terrible. But you don't want your DNA to unravel like that, you know? So thank you for sharing that. It's such such a powerful thing. And we're just learning so much more about this. And I, I didn't know about this coffee thing. That's super remarkable. And big shout out to folks who are, you know, going for the good stuff, all right? We're not getting the Nick Cafe. We're getting some good organic, high quality coffee and can do a lot of benefit for you. So. We've covered four of the five defense systems, and there's one more, and I don't think any more is more important than this one as well. So let's talk about the immune system. Right. So every grandmother's told their grandkids that you got to protect your immune system, right? If you don't have a good immune system, you're going to get sick. So we know the immune system protects us against infection. But we now know that the immune system also protects us against cancer and other serious diseases as well, as we talked about a little bit earlier. So what are some of the things that can activate the immune system besides drugs? I mean, there's a lot of things that can actually help our immune system. But food, you know, is really a pretty powerful way to enhance it. We talked a little bit about earlier about kimchi boosting our immune system through the microbiome. But there are foods that just can actually automatically boost our immune system by themselves. Mm. One of them is mango. You know, I love mangoes. They're juicy, sweet, filled with fiber. They got lots of vitamins and they also have bioactives. And and I call a mango, by the way, a um, stone fruit. Well, mango is a stone fruit, but I call mangoes and stone fruit grand slammers of foods. These are foods, a whole table of foods I have in my, um, in my uh, book that all activate all five uh, defense systems at the same time, including the immune system. So you can slam it out of the park by eating these foods. Mango is one of my favorites. Tasty, juicy, sweet. You get vitamins, good minerals, and it actually contains these natural bioactives that actually can help boost your immune system. But it's not just mangoes. You got other things. Um, broccoli sprouts. You know, some people talk about um, living foods, right? Those are the young sprouting foods that have all the nutrients and the energy when they're just young babies. And later on, when they get older, they get distributed the energy on, on the whole bigger plant. Well, it turns out that broccoli sprouts have been studied to see if they can boost the immune system. And in my book, I talk about a research study where they gave young people in their 20s the flu shot. Actually, it's not a shot. They gave a flu in- inhaler to protecting against the flu. And it turns out that if they gave them also a couple of shots of a of broccoli sprouts made into a smoothie, that's it. A couple of shots of this a day that you would actually improve the response like 20 times mm. to the benefit protecting you against the flu, boost your immune system. And when they even swabbed their noses afterwards, you know, where the flu virus might live, they were like almost all gone. And so again, this is an example of a food that can boost up the immune response that we want to have to protect ourselves. So, you know, you go to the doctor, you get a flu shot, but, you know, what about having a a smoothie made with broccoli sprouts as well? Final food I want to talk about is really mushrooms. So, you know, some people love mushrooms, some people don't, but everybody should love them because, number one, they grow right from the ground. They they suck up all those really nice nutrients from the ground. If if it's growing in clean ground, we've got to protect our earth, have a good planet so that our food is really safe. But inside the mushroom, there is a natural compound called beta-glucan, beta-glucan, that is found in the cap of the mushroom that we cut up, right, and eat. And that stimulates the immune system directly. But here's a, here's a real surprise. Regardless of whether it's a shiitake mushroom, a maitake mushroom, a portobello mushroom, or even the lowly white button mushroom, you know, the ones that are real 
less, they're not expensive at all. You can find them anywhere. But here's like the surprise, and I write about this in a book, the part of the food matters. So mo how many of us buy mushrooms and you cut off the tops and you're cooking with those, and you take those stems, mm. you just toss them out. I think most people do that. Not everybody. But researchers have found that the stems, called the stipe, uh, actually uh, contains up to three times more beta-glucan than the cap. Wow. Cap is good. Stems better. Next time you eat mushrooms, eat them both. Wow. That's so cool because I, we actually, when we're making mushrooms, we use a stem as well. So, and it was yeah. just like, there's got to be some good stuff in here. But now I know. That's so cool. So cool. So, again, there's a wealth of, of I think you've got, you said 250 different foods? 200 some foods. I got more than 200 foods in there. And it's just going to blow your mind and to hear the research. And we could just geek out all day on this stuff. And, but there are a couple I've got to ask you about before I let you go, because this is where we get into a little bit of like a little controversy, little, you know, how much do we do, you know? And I want to talk about, you've got red wine in here. What's going on with red, with red wine? How does that make the cut? Well, most of the studies involving public health looking at red wine have shown surprisingly uh, that there's some benefits. Benefits your heart, lower risk of cancer, uh, and other types of uh, metabolic diseases as well. But the reality is that it's not the alcohol. It's never the alcohol that's actually the good stuff for you. I mean, alcohol might loosen up our nerves and make us feel a little bit better. But in fact, the good stuff that activates our health defenses came out of the grape skin. And that's why red wine is red, is it extracted out that natural dye and all those other good things that come out of it. Same thing as beer, by the way. The hops in the beer elaborate a natural chemical called xanthohumeral, and that floats up right into the beer. So, you know, there's actually benefits of beer, mobilizes your stem cells, actually is anti-angiogenic as well. Lots of good reasons, but it's not the alcohol. So... What I would say is that this is an example of how research really allows us to peel the layers back to figure out what, why something is beneficial and, and what is it. I'm looking around. My team is all smiling after you said the beer thing. <laughs> Eyes are lighting up. So in the book you mentioned a study, it says that individuals who drank one and a half to two beers per day were found to have a 60% reduction in the risk of dementia. Un believable because we usually associate beer to messing up your brain but it's that dose that's effective versus when we get into having too much alcohol and you even mentioned that as well at high doses it's brain toxin and this is the thing you know if you're having a, a beer or two versus a 12 pack you know the results are going to be radically different right i mean the you know the the poison is always in the dose I mean, you can poison yourself just by drinking water. There's water toxicity. And so one of the things that I emphasize in my book is uh, it's important to have moderation. The human body wasn't intended, wasn't built to be stuffed. You know, you go to a buffet line, you know, you can eat anything you want, as much as you want. My recommendation is take, you know, only about a third of what your brain tells you to take and put it on your plate. Enjoy what you're eating, choose the right things and lean into the foods that you love. Perfect. Perfect. I want to ask you about one more because I'm a huge fan of this. And I've even recently gotten more into the green teas because I'm a big fan of like uh, mushroom elixirs and teas and, you know, yerba mate and even black teas. But I've been getting more into like the matcha lately. I've been really digging that. And so one of the things you talk about is EGCG. 
being one of those um, really powerful nutrients that we find in, in yep. sources like green tea. So uh, the tea plant, which grows in a bush, is picked every, a couple of times a year in places that actually you know have tea. <laughs> tea doesn't grow in bags on a plant. Right. It comes as little leaves, and they and the people that pick these leaves and they dry them out in the sun, and then uh, in the case of matcha, they grind them into a powder. So you're in fact you're drinking the whole leaf, which is why it's more potent. Um, but if you're just brewing the tea, it's the leaf that kind of like st sticks around inside the tea bag or sits at the bottom of the cup. Um, I just drink tea with leaves, with whole leaves, and all the good stuff kind of just um, comes is just coaxed out of the tea leaf or out of the powder into the liquid, which we then drink. So EGCG um, is one of you know hundreds of natural compounds, natural chemicals that are found in tea leaves, but it seems to be one of the most um, potent. It's certainly been the most researched. It inhibits angiogenesis. It helps protect your blood vessel, our blood vessels in heart from from heart disease. It might actually lower our blood pressure, protect us against high cholesterol uh, in the blood. Probably coaxes out stem cells uh, as well. A lot of reasons to love um, uh, green tea. Here's the surprise that I write about in my book. I found it was surprising myself. I'm glad you mentioned matcha. It turns out that matcha and probably the high levels of EGCG in matcha actually can kill cancer stem cells. So while most of the stem cells we have are good and help regenerate ourselves, when a cancer grows, they also have their own stem cells. And those stem cells keep that cancer coming back, right? Those are really deadly. That's the holy grail of cancer research is trying to find a way to kill those cancer stem cells. Just this past year, researchers found that matcha and the EGCG in it can kill the cancer stem cells in breast cancer. So another reason I like matcha. So remarkable. So remarkable. Dr. Lee, this book is just out of this world. And so are you. And if you could, I know in the book, you've got your five by five by five framework. You've got so many other little insights and tips for people. But for Everybody listening, what is something that you want to make sure that you let them know about Eat to Beat Disease and why everybody should have this book in their hands? I have one very simple take-home message from reading my book is that you can now focus your efforts on what and figuring out what to add to your diet. More good things you add in, you got less room for bad things. And you know, we're all human. Life's not perfect. We can't always eat all the perfect, you know, the things that we know that are good for us. But if you have more stuff that's good for you, you'll kind of um, check out the, you'll hip check out uh, the, the things that are not so good for you. And on the balance, that's what health is all about. It's all about a balance. We want to have more good than the bad, and then we're actually going to be in the kind of shape that we want. It's not about extremes; it's about reasonableness. And so this is an entirely new way to think about our, our health. And so, you know, you can buy my book, Eat to Beat Disease, anywhere the books are sold. And I'm actually, you know, posting stuff all the time on social. So it's at Dr. William Lee, L-I. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And what I really would love to have people do is to come sign up and join my community on my website. And uh, then I can update you personally. And it's drwilliamleeli.com. And I'm just going to come up with new recipes and new ideas for people. This science is like pounding out. And so I put everything I possibly could in a book. But then you got to send it to the printers and it's got to print a book. And so it's ongoing stuff is coming out. You can get it on my website. 
Awesome. And it's so exciting. And I'm just so excited to have had you on the show. And thank you for sharing your wisdom with everybody. This has been a real treat. Thank you so very much. John, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you for thank you for having me on. And we'd love to keep having this conversation. Definitely. We're going to keep it coming. Everybody, thank you for tuning into the show today. I hope you got a lot of value out of this episode. This stuff blows my mind. And I'm truly, truly loving this book and the message behind it because it's really having this uh, complete message about healthcare, right? We've got incredible systems for emergency care and surgeries and, and drugs that can be life-saving, but that's not our only tool, right? But the way that the system is currently set up and things are changing very, very quickly now is that if, you, if, if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So let's just throw a drug at it or let's throw a, a conventional treatment at it. When the reality is we have access to so many different things that we need to have in our own superhero utility belt to take care of ourselves and the people that we care about. All right, so we're gonna see this shift continue to happen where we're looking at food as medicine because it truly is. And as I started the show, a lot of medicines are derived from foods and from fungi. And this is a, a absolute wealth of possibility for us. And now we get the real good launching pad from Dr. Lee and his research into this world and really understanding the power that food really does have. So definitely check out the book and share this episode out on social media. All right, share on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, tag me, tag Dr. Lee. Let him know what you thought about the episode. I'm sure that he'd be pumped to hear from you. All right, and listen, we've got some incredible episodes coming your way as well. So make sure to be ready and stay tuned. Take care, have an amazing day, and I'll talk with you soon. And for more after the show, make sure to head over to themodelhealthshow.com. That's where you can find all of the show notes. You can find transcriptions, videos for each episode. And if you got a comment, you can leave me a comment there as well. And please make sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating to let everybody know that the show is awesome. And I appreciate that so much. And take care. I promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help you transform your life. Thanks for tuning in.